Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, How to Read for Lifelong Learning, Part 2. Ken, you introduced this topic uh, last week. This is going to be a three-parter because, well, you like uh, reading and we like yeah. Dave and I do as well. But uh, you're going to give us some more thought uh, today. Yeah, last time I introduced our uh, readers, I'm sure some of them are already familiar, particularly with Adler. But uh, I mentioned uh, another uh, literary scholar, Christian uh, Lutheran scholar, Gene Edward Veith. So I thought we might uh, just review a few points we talked about last time. Then I want to spend some time uh, looking at uh, reading itself and particularly the importance of what Adler would call pre-reading or what we might call skimming. So that's kind of where we're going. Very good. I think in this one, you're going to talk about levels of reading. That's exactly right. And uh, it's helpful to see the different types of reading. I think one of the big challenges that all of us have, and I used to do it for years, you know, I'd get a book and read a quarter of it and stop. And then I'd order one more, 25% stop. And this kept going on. And I thought, wow, you know, wh what's my problem here? Well, I think one of the problems in a situation like that is maybe you want to, uh, you want to skim books. Uh, that may help you to decide, okay, you know, why am I, why am I getting stuck at a particular point? Well, let me let me say a few things about what we discussed last time. Um, we talked about the importance of of reading, and I again want to emphasize this idea of lifelong learning. You know, at different stages of your life, education I think means different things. Um, I was the first uh, child in my family to go to college, and. Uh, so I was kind of a pioneer in, in some sense. I, I couldn't really talk to my parents about, uh, you know, how to pursue an education. Uh, so, you know, getting my, my associate's degree, I thought, wow, that's great. And then I got a bachelor's degree and then I got a master's degree. Um, what's interesting, however, is that people like Adler and Veith, they talk about lifelong learning. And... Um, there's a lot of benefits to be had here, even, even your mental health. Uh, Adler lived to be 98. Uh, the Lord was good to him, no doubt. But I think one of the reasons he uh, lived so long, and I always tell a little story. Uh, he, he has a number of videos on YouTube. Just type in Mortimer Adler. He's got some great videos. Some of them go back to the 50s. But anyway, he was giving a talk. He's 70 years old. And uh, I'll tell you, he was he was hitting on all cylinders. He seemed more intellectually robust at 70 than I was at 35. I mean, he he was a thinker. And so this this is good for us. Um, you know, uh, we have the greatest computer in the world. It's called our brain mind. And uh, the more you use it, the better it works. Well, um, lifelong learning. I'm going to have more to say. In fact, I have a nice quote from Adler that we'll look at in a few minutes. Last time we talked a little bit about um, 
you know, do, can can I become an educated, wise, and thoughtful person? And if those are my goals, how do I go about it? Well, reading. Uh, Ed Hirsch, a educational reformer here in America, has written a lot of books. Some of you might be familiar with, you know, what my needs to know. Um, he has books for kindergartners all the way up to 12th grade. I used some of that material when I educated a couple of my children. Um, I love the new dictionary of cultural literacy. You can go in there and read some very important things about politics, uh, about science, about religion. And uh, he says, this is Hirsch, he says, we all know that reading is the most important academic skill. Um, and, and Hirsch is a very interesting person. He has really pushed for the idea that uh, that children who struggle in school, and usually they are minority uh, groups, but but not always. They're sometimes white children struggle as well. He really thinks that the way to get people to, to enjoy the, the great benefits of being an American is by giving them a good education. And uh, so he's done a lot uh, in that regard. And of course, Adler calls, Adler just says reading is learning. And of course, last time we talked about three points that Gene Edward Veith gives us. Uh, Veith um, is provost and professor of literature emeritus at Patrick Henry College. Uh, and he worked for some time as the culture editor at World Magazine. Magazine I like, by the way. I recommend you take a look at it. Um, in an article uh, for World Magazine, Gene Edward Veith, entitled Flex the Brain, he he makes three points. And I, I just want to underscore them again. I think they're so important. He says, number one, you need to read actively. He says readers should read passively as our content media culture conditions us, as our current media culture conditions us to do. Active reading, staying in charge of the process, interacting with the author, thinking about what is being said, critically evaluating what is good, what is going on, contemplating what it all means, and sorting out the good from the bad is vital. Of course, Adler completely agrees with that. He says, ask questions while you read, questions that you yourself must try to answer in the course of reading. And I think all of us can relate. There are times when our reading becomes very passive. We're just kind of reading words. Sometimes we're kind of tired. I recommend, um, I know for me, reading in the morning has always been better. As my mind, I've had some sleep and I can read through things. But this is the act of reading. And this is what uh, Adler is later going to call analytical reading. We'll talk about that. But the second point that Veith makes is read worldviewishly. I like that, too. He says, quote, readers should pay attention to worldviews for two reasons, to understand the material itself and to develop a Christian response. He says the, the worldview of the author opens up the work's content background and its place in history, all of which are essential for a full understanding. I think that's great advice. I think you want to be thinking, you know, as, as you come to these books, 
Uh, I want to engage them. I want to be active. I want to be asking questions, but I'm also a detective trying to figure out where this guy's coming from. What kind of worldview uh, do they hold? And and all of us, the three of us, uh, think that worldview thinking is important. And I thought it was so important. I wrote a book on it, A World of Difference. Now, Adler says something similar. And uh, Adler's book, How to Read a Book, by the way, came out in 1940. It's been a bestseller ever since. Um, he wrote in 1983 a companion to How to Read a Book, and it's entitled How to Speak and How to Listen. One of the points he makes in this second book, How to Speak, How to Listen, is he says uh, when it comes to reading, writing, speaking, and listening, he says the least training we get in school is how to listen. And he says that's such a critical uh, part of learning. So that's that's a great book. Adler and Van Doren, um, and I should say that in 1972, Adler brought on Van Doren, Charles Van Doren, as a co-author, and they revised the book. And so it was completely revised and updated in 1972. It's got a new cover I've seen on Amazon. Well, this is what Adler and Van Doren say they agree with uh, Veith. They say, do not do not say you agree, disagree, or suspend judgment until you can say, I understand. They talk about coming to grips with the author. What's what's this author? What is this author arguing? What what are what are they saying? Have I understood it? Now I can decide, well, uh, I'm not sure I agree or I disagree, or I'm gonna suspend judgment. Now a third point that Veith makes, and another good one, he says, read quality books. Uh, quote, if the larger purpose of reading is to exercise our minds and our imaginations, and further to develop a distinctly Christian mind and imagination, some books are more helpful than others. Good books will be more helpful than bad or mediocre books. He says, the highest quality of book books stand up to and often require more than one reading. Adler says that, look, if you've read a great book once, uh, you really haven't gotten it yet. Um, I, I, over the last decade, I think I've been reading more classic books. And I notice it slowed my reading down because there's just a lot there. And I have to, I have to think it through. Well, that gives you a little bit, bit of background. And here's a great quote again from Adler and Van Doren. They say this. Uh, they say that books stretch your mind. Adler's, he likes that idea that good reading, these quality books, good books, great books, they stretch your mind. He says, you will not improve as a reader if all you read are books that are well within your capacity you must tackle books that are beyond you, or as we have said, books that are over your head. Only books of that sort will make you stretch your mind, and unless you stretch, you will not learn. Now, of course, what he means there is not learning for facts or information, but reading for understanding. Books that really kind of challenge your, your, your ways of thinking. But, you know, I recommend lots of books, and students frequently come back to me and say, you know, that's over my head. And I, I say, that's good. You know, some of the reading challenges you're having are good. You're, you're stretching. And those are good things. All right. Well, that's kind of what we covered in the first program. 
let's dig into uh, some more material, uh, both from Adler and Veith. Uh, I want to make one comment. Uh, this, on, Dave. Uh, the challenge read world viewishly, I think, is really important. I, uh, in discussing this with my son, we were commenting on how you can read a book and maybe a person's view of God is very close to your own. And so you think this person is really presenting a, a position that you'll find compatible with the views that you have. And then later on, you read and you find out that he has a completely different view uh, of what a uh, conservative view of, say, the of, of what human beings are. He may take the position that humans are good, basically. Well, if you don't have the worldview framework, you may just kind of slide over that because you've already been convinced that his view of God is is along the lines that you think are correct or you know the way you you would would agree with and then but but reading it world viewing begin to realize well you may say things that uh, agree with uh, uh, you know my view of god but he does doesn't have a view of humanity that i can go along with and so i i just this is a very practical kind of way and this framework is very important in my view. And I think even, you know, what can help a lot of readers is like a little three by five card that talks about some of the categories of worldview. What's your view of God? What's your view of the cosmos? What's your basic view of knowledge and and ethics and values and humanity? You know, you can, if you have those ideas in front of you, maybe written on a three by five card, you know, you're taking notes and, you know, because you want to come to grips with the author, you want to know where they're coming from. Yeah, that's I, I think that's that's a terrific way of of learning. And some authors are not shy about telling you their worldview. They want to they want to persuade you. Others sometimes are a little they kind of cloak things and you have to kind of dig a little bit. Right. Well, let's talk about um, what. Butler calls uh, the levels of reading, and he has four of them, and he makes the point uh, with his co-author, Charles Van Doren, that the levels are cumulative. The higher levels include the lower levels. And of course, he's starting out very basic. He talks about elementary or basic reading. So what, what does the sentence say? And here, of course, he's talking about uh, moving from non-literacy to, to literacy. And of course, we call we call these schools elementary schools. And, you know, Adler makes a, a, a provocative point, I think, uh, philosophically and apologetically. Adler says, look, this idea of reading where you um, you blend letters to make sounds and they convey concepts and ideas, you know, this, the symbolism that we're using, he says, this is the most complex thing that human beings do. But he says, the amazing thing is that a most seven-year-olds have it, have it down pretty well. And um, of course, I think, I think philosophically, this is kind of human exceptionalism. I mean, if you listen to somebody like a fuzz Rana, he will tell you that one of the things that makes human beings very different than 
you know, the other, the great apes or the, uh, the primates, um, uh, bipedal primates, uh, is this human exceptionalism. And so this process of learning is a very important learning language, letters, sounds, words, sentences, um, you know, phonics, that, that is such a, a foundational discipline. And if kids don't get off well, uh, then they're going to struggle in that. And, uh, you know, how to read a book uh, gives you a lot of great information to how to how to help your children, how to how to grow in your own reading. Now, the second level is one I want to spend a little time with, but I'm going to come back to it. I'll just simply say it's what Adler and Van Doren call inspectional reading. Uh, this this is sometimes called pre-reading. It's also called skimming. Um, and, and again, a lot of people feel like, well, I can't just skim a book. That's not really reading. It really is reading and, and we'll come back to it. But skimming or pre-reading is what we might call a, a short, a read in a short time, systematic skimming. Most readers, according to Adler and Van Doren, they fail to appreciate the benefits of skimming a book or a superficial read. Now, I'm not going to say more because I want to look at some of the specifics of that. Let me then move to the third level of reading. And this is this is the this is a very sophisticated form of reading. It's called analytical reading. And there's a couple points that Adler makes and Van Doren. One, that analytical reading involves a complex, thorough, and systematic form of reading. So this, this is going to take some effort. This is going to involve asking questions, moving, moving through the manuscript, but you really want to, you want to think it through. Secondly, they say analytical reading develops understanding through an organized questioning of the book's content. Uh, and so again, Adler's talking about reading for understanding. Now, uh, I was in the Salvation Army a couple weeks ago, and I was looking through their books, and I found a book about NBA greats, and uh, it was kind of brought me back to my childhood. And I was reading about Jerry West and Will Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor, and I was just standing there reading, and I I'd, I'd probably gotten everything out of the book just just working through it. Well, you can read for information, you can read for amusement, you can uh, read for gaining facts, but again. Adler and Van Doren say that's very different than reading for a depth of understanding, where you're trying to really come to grips with what are the key, what are the key issues of of living as a human being, of of being a human being in the world that you live. Now, of course, analytical reading is the, you know, the, that's really uh, very it's serious business. In fact, uh, Dave, I think you were alluding to this in our earlier program, Francis Bacon uh, dates 1561 to 1626. Bacon was a philosopher, statesman, scientist, lawyer, jurist, uh, quite a remarkable uh, career. Um, Bacon said some books are to be tasted, others to be swallowed, and some few to be chewed and digested. Well, Adler and Van Doren say analytical reading is chewing and digesting it, right? 
I remember the first time I read Mere Christianity, it was uh, a little small volume and I put it in my back pocket and I I was just so amazed by the book. I was so impressed with Lewis as a Christian author that I I carried it around with me. And, you know, I, I remember going to a party and I was giving quotes to some of my my friends uh, about what Lewis had to say. Well, this is chewing and digesting, right? That's that's analytical reading. Analytical reading is an investment of time. And uh, part of the challenge we have of reading parts of books is it's a big investment. And um, Adler and Van Doren would say most books probably are not worth the investment if your goal is developing a greater understanding. Now, one more level of reading, and then we'll go back to some inspectional reading. They also say, number four, syntopical reading. Uh, this is a complex form of systematic and comparative reading. We call it dialectic reading. Reading a book's content in light of other books on the same subject and drawing an independent analysis, which may be uh, which may not be in any of the books. Well, this is very close to a thesis or a dissertation. You know, I might read multiple books on St. Augustine, and uh, I make up with the an idea that none of the books necessarily uh, make as part of the content. And so syntopical reading is a very sophisticated form of reading. And, and again, the goal, is to come to an independent judgment. And so we see that in you know, uh, various, various disciplines. Well, let me pause, question, comment, uh, before we take a look at skimming in some more depth. Uh, yeah, on this idea of syntopical reading, is this what um, an author does, uh, like you, Ken? Yeah. When you write a book, you're consulting a lot of other books, and then you have a bibliography, you have endnotes, citations. Um, there, these books could uh, touch on some of the uh, subject matter of your book, but uh, you're doing something different in light of what you're reading in all of them. Is that uh, that's exactly right? Yeah. Yep, that's that's you know that that is uh, what authors do. That is what um, advanced uh, you know degrees when you're doing a dissertation, a thesis, and uh, it's it's kind of a unique experience too because you're borrowing. There's no doubt about that, but you're also kind of coming up. Hey, I've got a take. I've got a I've got a particular perspective uh, that I want to present. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know. Um, uh, we sometimes don't realize the different types of reading that that can be done. Yeah, very good. Dave, how about you? Question, comment? Well, I, you know, I'm, of course, a lot of my reading is more of the analytical type reading. Um, you know, I mean, I occasionally, of course, I'm reading a novel or something of that. But I even there, I like to read something that is good literature uh, you know, when you when you read like Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, for instance, which are, you know, obviously more meant for kids. Yet as an adult, when you read it, it has a lot of content, a lot of worldview, 
a lot of uh, theology and uh, trying to understand what he's saying theologically uh, in a more sophisticated way is is uh, quite a challenge and and is and is present in the book. So even though I'll, I'll read those books uh, more for an entertainment kind of thing, usually uh, often I'll go back and reread it with the intent of trying to understand his his uh, theological points. And of course, in some cases, you may not always agree with the viewpoint that he expresses. I think we've made comments about his book, The Last Battle, and wondered exactly what he's trying to say in that book about uh, the future uh, in heaven. You know, what, what's interesting is this morning when I was driving to work, I was listening to uh, a biography that was written by Alistair McGrath. Uh, Professor B McGrath is an Oxford theologian and scientist. Um, he wrote a he wrote a book uh, at the fiftieth anniversary of Lewis's death, uh, C.S. Lewis: A Life. And um, what was interesting is uh, somebody was at the beginning of the the book. He did an interview, and Alistair McGrath said, "Yeah, there were people that influenced C.S. Lewis. There was uh, obviously his brother Warney. Um, Lewis was." also very influenced by uh, Mrs. Moore and that whole issue of taking care of her because her son had been killed in World War I. But he also said, you know, Charles Williams, um, Owen Barfield, J.R. Tolkien. But McGrath said that he thought, and McGrath, in order to write a book about Lewis's life, he said he read everything Lewis had ever written including letters. And remember that uh, C.S. Lewis's brother, Warren or Warney, he said he typed 12,000 letters. Uh, and a lot of these letters uh, you know, are still in existence. But what was interesting, Dave, is that McGrath said that he thought the real big influence on Lewis was books. Um, the authors that he read really had uh, a big influence. And you know, that's I think that's exactly right. Now, let's let's dig in here a little bit and talk about what Van Doren and uh, Adler call uh, their their nine points of skimming a book. Um, this is, again, called inspectional reading. You're, you're asking, what's this book about? Now, I get a lot of books. I love getting books. I love buying books. I my wife says I have a lot of books, too many books. Um, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with them all when I uh, when I'm no longer here. Um, but I did tell my kids, make sure you put my favorites in the coffin with a uh, flashlight, uh, maybe some snacks in case I wake up early, you know. <laughs> well, I get a lot of books and I can't read all of them analytically. I just don't have the time. And uh, I I have to go through the process of deciding which books are going to, what books am I going to give that kind of time to? Well, what Adler and Van Doren say is you need to appreciate what skimming can do for you. Skimming can help you decide whether a book is to be read analytically or not. Uh, and you are a detective, you know, I get 
Christian apologists write books and they'll send me copies and I'm always, I'm always grateful to get them. But um, you're like a detective. You're looking for clues. You're trying to determine what is this book about and how, how valuable is it? Do I want to do I want to give all that time and energy to reading it analytically? And they have nine points. And I can tell you that if you do this, you'll know a lot about a book um, without reading it analytically. Number one, uh, review the title page, you know, get get into the practice of opening that book up. I mean, I've written a number of books uh, looking at the title page, looking at the subtitle. What what are what are they telling me here? Uh, what can I take from the the title page? He says uh, they say then examine the contents page. You know where where's this book going? Uh, what are what are the what do the chapter titles reveal? He then says uh, read the introduction. Usually it's pretty brief. Uh, a lot of times authors will tell you a lot about what they're going to do or why they're writing this book in that introduction. He says, per, per, peruse the index, you know, what kind of what kind of vocabulary, what kind of, uh, what terms are being addressed. Then he says, note the back page. Um, you know, people want, publishers want to sell books and uh, they will put, you know, the cover is very important, the back is very important. Sometimes you can learn uh, by reading a, a paragraph that might appear on the back cover. Then you thumb through the book, right? You you just make your way through it. I'm just just kind of sitting here trying to pick up, trying to learn as much as I can. I thumb through the book. Uh, you know, sometimes I find, wow, oh, that's I wasn't expecting that. Or hey, this looks really good. Number seven read opening and closing chapter paragraphs. Now, I don't know how many writers do that anymore, but in the old days, um, I remember when I was reading philosophy and theology, you know, you could get a lot out of, out of the opening and closing paragraphs. They're telling you either where they're going or they're summarizing where they've been. And I'm, I haven't read the, the chapter in a lot of detail, but wow. Um, and then read chapter summaries. And, and nine, you might even want to engage in reading through the book very rapidly. That is, you don't stop to, to outline things. You don't stop to ask questions. You just mow through it. Um, I have in my office here 3,000 books approximately. Um People come in and say, Ken, have you read all these books? I say, no, I haven't analytically read all these books, but I have read from all of them. And most of them I have given a very serious skim. Um, you can learn a lot from that. You, you, you know, maybe part of the, I read 25% and I put it down. Maybe it's not the book you thought it was. Uh, or maybe, um, Maybe if you knew more about the book, you might feel like, hey, I don't have to start from the beginning. Maybe I can skip down here a little bit and, and work through that. But the, the basic idea here is that you're trying to learn as much information as you can about the book. And 
You know, I get asked questions. Hey, you know, uh, William Lane Craig or J.P. Moreland has come out with a new book. Um, do you, what do you know about it? Uh, sometimes with a very serious skim, I have enough information that I can I can think and talk intelligently uh, about a particular book. Uh, you know, so analytic reading is is involved. But this type of skimming can be very helpful. And Adler and Van Doren say the vast majority of readers do not uh, take advantage of this. They think they think reading a book is I start from page one and I just plow through it. Right. So that that's a I think that's a very important. Um, it's important to have that as part of your your kind of reading background. Comments, questions about these nine points. The um, I realize I do a lot of this, these particular uh, points here. When I read the newspaper, uh, we take the Wall Street Journal, and uh, there's a lot of articles. Some of them quite long, but uh, you know, I'll start. I'll read the title. I'll read a. You know, they usually have some little summary paragraph about at least some point being made. And if it sounds intriguing, then I'll look a little further and I may start reading the beginning. And if it looks kind of tedious, I'll skip to the end and see if there's any kind of summary or and and decide whether I want to read this article or whether I want to just bypass it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that's what Adler and Van Doren would call pre-reading. You're yeah. You're going through an inspection. I, I know one thing that helps me too is looking at the bibliography. There are times I think, oh, wow, I, here is a few books I didn't even know existed on this topic. And they that that kind of sends me out looking for for more books. Uh, Joe, what are you, you're an editor. You're a word person. Uh, you edit books. Um you're, yeah. you're a writer. What do, what do you think about this? Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate the, the comments about uh, skimming. Uh, I would say years ago when I would pick up a book, I often did get bogged down, you know, one third, one quarter of it, one half, whatever, because I didn't do uh, this type of reading. I just started at page one and didn't bother to look at the other elements. Uh, now I do that more often. And Sometimes, as you as you know, I think it was the Francis Bacon quote. Sometimes uh, you just taste a book <laughs> and then realize, okay, uh, it's not it's not going to be worth my time. <clears throat> but I'll skim through and I'll, you know, know basically what it's about. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you'll pick up a different book and with this kind of skimming table of contents, title page, back cover, index, bibliography, all these are elements we editors check for and we help our to be authors in that regard so we, we like to do it anyway but uh when i approach a book that way uh i get more out of it right away and i look forward to things unfolding because i already have kind of an overview so i appreciate it and it resonates with me very good well, I promised to give you a quotation here uh, about lifelong learning. And I want to I want to read this extended quote from uh, Professor Adler. Uh, so he's writing about education, both general and lifelong. And 
here's the quote, becoming, he says, becoming a generally educated person is a lifelong process. It is an unending pursuit of learning concluded by death, but never finished or terminated by death. Well, there you get, there you get Adler's belief that uh, we survived the death of our body. And there's going to be another world and what we think and what we believe is important. But he goes on, in my judgment, 60 is the age at which one can begin to become generally educated on condition, of course, that the process has been continuing after all schooling has been finished. Now, um, some of you might question that. What do you mean 60? I mean, aren't, I mean, Blaise Pascal, look at all he did in his 20s or you know, uh, Dave, sometimes the great physicists or mathematicians, they do their greatest work, you know, before they're 40 years old. Well, Adler kind of goes on to explain what he means by that. And so let me keep reading here. He says, after age 60, one is fully mature and experienced, has been challenged by all the intricate problems of living, has done a great deal of conversing and is finally ready to make and defend solutions to life's major problems, or to acknowledge the existence of problems to which one can find no satisfactory solutions. So to understand what Adler is saying, it, it, it's not that people aren't, some people are very brilliant, very knowledgeable, have, have very good educations, but he's broadening this idea of understanding uh, a part of being an educated person is asking the big questions of life, uh, looking deeper. I, I think about uh, what would have happened had uh, Blaise Pascal lived to, to be 70 or 76, like Augustine did. What might he write later? Um, uh, Peter Kreef, the Catholic philosopher, says, uh, he said, the Lord killed Pascal because uh, he didn't want him to mess up and make a complicated book. The the Ponce's is so punchy and so riveting and just reaches out and grabs you. He he thinks the, the Lord thought Pascal would make it into a, a book and nobody would want to read it. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I, I agree with him about uh, how how gripping the, the Ponce's are. Then finally, there's this paragraph from Adler. He says, individuals who schooling was specialized rather than liberal and who do not continue learning when they leave schooling behind or do so only to prove their specialized expertise, never become generally educated beings, human beings. Then, he, then there's this last quote. He says, this statement holds for most physicians, lawyers and engineers, as well as for most who getting a PhD merely indicate the field of specialization they would cultivate cultivate thereafter. Well, this is a provocative topic that I've talked with our scholars here about, that um, Adler says that most scientists are highly specialized, but not necessarily broadly educated. Now, Dave, I think you're an exception to that rule. You read a lot of different kinds of material, and you, you're an uh, you know, you are constantly reading literature and various things. But it is an interesting point that you can become highly specialized in your education and not necessarily have a breadth 
of understanding. And um, I, I think to have that breadth of understanding, you have to read more broadly. Mm -hmm. You know, well, I think I still feel like I'm pretty narrow, but you're right. As a scientist, you tend not to. You're so focused on the, the, the you know, the material that you're trying to gain understanding of as in science that you just don't have time unless you're, you know, really uh, talented and smart and able to read more broadly. I try to, but I'm not nearly as as broad as I would like to be. There is one other kind of thing that has struck my mind, too. Lewis, in his biography, Surprised by Joy, speaks about um, experiences that he had prior to his becoming a Christian uh, of what he called joy, kind of an intuitive um, nostalgia, as it were. He would read or experience something that would just grip his heart and soul, and then it would go away, and he didn't know where, and he would reread or re-experience uh, uh, maybe a trip or something somewhere, a walk that he would take to, to, to try and recover that. And of course, the, the ultimate story that he tells us that he found that ultimate joy in his relationship with God in Christ. Yeah. And that's why he calls it surprised by joy. But I realize that when I read, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for some kind of content in the book, whether it's literature or whether it's even a math book. I'm reading a book right now called uh, uh, An Imaginary Tale. And it's, it's a story about how the square root of minus one which is called an imaginary number because you can't take the square root of minus one. How did it, where did it come from? How did it develop? And, and it's just kind of fascinating. And it sort of uh, meets that sort of magical desire that I have, that intuitive feeling that I want a book and I want a material, whatever I read, to have that kind of, uh, sense that that stirs up in me something a kind of a mystery almost yeah that that is more than just information it's more than just analytical it it meets this deeper desire that somehow is associated in my mind with our spirit spiritual qualities that, that God has made with a human being I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very good. I I you know there is the German term Sinnsuch, this sense of desire, and Lewis writes about that. He talks about joy that there are various times in his life where he he recognized these these very powerful elements that extended beyond this world that gave him a sense of wonder. Yes. And I, I think the I think that's exactly right, um, Dave. I I've never been good at mathematics, but I like reading books where people talk about mathematics or give you some philosophy of how to think about right. uh, mathematics. Well, Joe, uh, let me give you some recommendations. Um, again, readers uh, of listeners to our program, Clear Thinking. 
I'm going to recommend they take a, a good look at the new dictionary of cultural literacy. They revise it every few years. Uh, the authors of that are um, Edie Hirsch, Joseph Kett, and James Treffel. Again, the new dictionary of cultural literacy. I want to recommend um, two of Adler's books, How to Read a Book, which is he co-authored with Charles Van Doren, and then his companion book, 19, a 1983 text, Mortimer J. Adler, How to Speak, How to Listen. And of course, Gene Edward Veith has a number of books available on Amazon. He wrote a couple books about postmodernism um, that, are, that are really, really solid materials. Last week, you recommended a book by Veith called... Uh, um, Serving God, no. Something all your mind. Loving God with all your mind. Yeah, loving God with all your mind. So I picked it up after the show, and I've been reading. I've read about a third of it so far, and I really like it. He's uh, he's good. dealing with a lot of different issues that, especially college students faces face in a in a academic environment. Uh, critiques of Christianity, and I really like the way. Of course, he's a professor of, I guess, English within the uh, uh, the academic world. Yes. And, uh, so he has some good insights on sort of how to, you don't have to, when you present Christianity, you don't have to present it with the intent of trying to persuade people to believe it, but you present it in the sense of trying to help them to understand it. What does it say? What is it all about? And yeah. whether you believe it or not, that's a, a, a something separate. Yeah, yeah. All right, Joe, this is the second show, and uh, we're going to have another one, uh, part three. Looking forward to that one. That's going to wrap it up for this one. Uh, let us know your comments and questions. You can reach out to Ken via Twitter. That handle is at RTB underscore K samples. And we'll be glad to read your comment here. In fact, I'll read a couple of them that have uh, come in, Ken, regarding reading, since we're on that topic. Uh, let's see, here's one. I'm currently reading your book, Classic Christian Thinkers. I'm really enjoying it. Just finished the chapter of Pascal. It's great how it ties in with the current Clear Thinking podcast episodes on church history, too. Thanks for all you guys do. Sammy Lawrence. And then here's another one. Uh, Ken, Classic Christian Thinkers is an excellent introduction to these important historical figures. It has led me on to also read other books, like this one I'm currently reading. I read Ponce's, and that was great. I have Confessions in the Queue. You have been a great influence on my reading, Tom Warner. Well, I'm sure you're pleased to hear that, Ken. <laughs> I am, very much. Thank you for those comments. Uh, Again, uh, you can reach out to Ken at RTB underscore K samples. Get clear thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. For Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. 
To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.